0: Hey, my name is Lucas. I'm a b-boy based in Northwest Arkansas. You're listening to the first episode of the Breakin' Podcast, a podcast that explores breaking through the lens of culture and history. If you're a breaker, our goal is to add definition to the culture we swim in daily. If you're coming from an outsider's perspective, we want to show you both beautiful and broken parts of that culture. This first season of the podcast is centered around community and what it looks like to have a healthy dance community. To start off, we invited Charles R. the CEO of Houston Revision, to share his insight with us. Charles R. has been doing work in the Greater Houston area for the past 24 years, hosting a regular practice space in Battle Night. It was a welcoming place that included dancers from multiple styles and socioeconomic backgrounds. I talked with him recently over Zoom to learn about the history of the organization and how to build a thriving dance community. Just a heads up, our interview cuts out a little because of a bad internet connection, but we hope you enjoy the conversation. Now without further ado, Charles R. Trummel. All right, welcome to The Breaking Podcast. I am your host, Lucas Chung, here for another episode where I get to interview uh, someone who I've really looked up to the last couple of years and was kind of mystified by for a long time. Uh, his name is Charles Rotrammel. That's how you pronounce your name, correct? It um is. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? And yeah, we'll get from there.
1: Great. Uh, yeah, so my name's uh, Charles Rotrammel. Uh, thanks, Lucas, for having me. And uh, I am the uh, CEO of a nonprofit in Houston called Houston Revision. Um, and we have uh, had a... a, a hip hop community that has been gathering together uh, since 1996, actually. Um, And until the pandemic hit, we were gathering every Thursday night uh, without fail since 1996. So a really long time that we've, uh, that we've managed to keep that that community together and focus on uh, breakdancing and hip hop dance. Yeah,
0: 1996, man, that's a long time. Yeah, do you mind giving us like a brief, history of kind of um, that Thursday night gathering, like
1: 1996 to now? Sure. Um, So we, uh, the organization that was originally called Youth Advocates, and uh, we were uh, primarily a gang intervention program that started in the 80s when the gang problem really hit Houston uh, in a serious way. Um, And so we were doing uh, pretty intensive uh, gang intervention. The gang problem in Houston really peaked in 1995 and 1996, uh, and so during that time we, we were working with a lot of young people, um, and some of them began to get out of gangs, actually, which we didn't know was possible at the time that we started. Um, you know, we were, we were young and uh, didn't really know what the trajectory was. Gangs were new. Uh, to the Houston area, so we really didn't know what was possible, right? Could kids get out of gangs we didn't really know that, so when some kids started getting out of gangs, it was a big shock um, and so we started looking for uh, alternative activities well well, okay, so if they're not going to be gang members, like what you know we need we need to rebrand them. we need them to reinvent themselves, and we need to provide resources for that so Three of our young people, uh, who actually didn't know each other, they were from three different parts of Houston, um, got interested in breakdancing dancing uh, in 1996. Um, I still don't have an explanation for that. Um, why did they get into breakdancing? Breaking wasn't uh, big in 1996 at all, um, you know, and 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 it was just kind of a a, a random thing. Um, they, they got interested in it. So we, uh, we said, okay, well, we had an empty office in our, in our office building at that time. So we uh, bought a piece of linoleum that was 12 foot by 12 foot. And we put that piece of linoleum in that room. And uh, one of our staff members donated a, 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 a an old um, stereo that had a cassette player on it uh, and, and just put that in the room and let them do their thing. Uh, they had a, a the, they brought a tape uh, that had two songs on it, um, the Mexican and um, by Babe Ruth and uh, Boogie Down Bronx, and so we heard those two songs over and over <laughs> on sort of an endless loop for for weeks as those guys were in that room, uh, just you know sort of practicing. Um, I guess you know is is what it turned into. They were learning how to break dance. Uh, Honestly, they were really self-taught teaching themselves. Um, And then they started um, inviting other folks to come over. Um, Now, meanwhile, realize we're still a gang intervention program, so we're doing our thing. I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to what's going on in that room. Um, uh, But one day, I was in my office, and and somebody came and got me. uh, And they said, oh, there's somebody good here. which, you know, uh, was important because none of us actually had ever seen anybody that actually knew how to break dance in person before. Like, um, and it was little John, actually, who, who they brought um, uh-huh. over that day. Um, and he, he, was, he really was good, even at that time. Um, uh, but that wasn't the most important thing that happened that day. What, 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 what was the most important thing is I walked into that room and there were 50 people triple circled around that little piece of linoleum. Um, and so I began, I, you know, it was at that moment that I, I realized like, okay, something's happening here and I'm not paying enough attention to it. Um, like a community was building, um, you know, and, and, and we needed to, to make that, uh, a, a real focus of ours. And so, um, you know, after John, uh, left, I sat down with the guys, uh, who were there. Um, and I said, you know, what do you need? And they said more space. Um, and so, uh, there was an old union hall literally across the street from that little bi- that little building that we were doing the gang intervention work out of. And so I walked across the street and said, could we rent this? Uh, could we rent this from you? Cause it was empty. Um, and, uh, so we, we, we moved our office over there to this old union hall. And then we opened, uh, we were going to open once a week on a Thursday night. We picked Thursday because it was right before the weekend. Um, it was kind of a random choice, honestly. Um, and, you know, we, we had some guys make some flyers, uh, old school B-boy style flyers. Um, and we, we uh, Xeroxed them and uh, they passed. We made 500 flyers and uh, we gave them to folks to pass out at school or wherever. Uh, and that was the only publicity that we did. Um and uh so we opened uh on you know almost the last Thursday of nineteen ninety-six. Um and that first night we had two hundred people show up. Oh wow uh, which was shocking. Um there was no place to to gather if you were a a, a B boy or a B girl uh in Houston, Texas at that time. There was no you know, you didn't have a place. Um and, um, and some people that, that still come every Thursday came that first night. Um, you know, Moy from Have Coral was a, a big part of uh, that first beginning time. Um, uh, baby Girl from Texas Black Sheep was there. Uh, Enrique from 3D was there. There's just a bunch of people that are still part of our community uh, and come all the time that were there that first night. Um, now realize we still didn't have the music down. We still only had that, that, <laughs> that, that one cassette tape and that cassette player, that was all we had. So, you know, some, some people that came brought some other cassette tapes, uh, but the music was a disaster at the beginning. We, we didn't, we didn't know what to do about it. Like we didn't, we hadn't figured that out. We hadn't gotten that far. We were sort of inventing it. You know, we were building the plane as it was flying down the runway. Um, so um so you know we we were very careful about how we started um I, I we were cautious about doing battles um because we were still in the heart of this gang problem in Houston and there was a lot of overlap between the people that were coming um you know some of the people who were attracted to breakdancing were also gang members and so it was it was a very um, tentative time. So we did eventually, in 1997, begin having battles on Thursday nights, but we had a bunch of rules attached to that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's still, you know, those, actually those rules are really still in place. Um, you know, we don't allow touching uh, during battles. We've never allowed that. Um, and everybody has to, you know, uh, shake hands or, or you know, greet each other. Actually, it's hugs now. Um, but we, you know, at the beginning we were we would enforce like you've got to be respectful of each other the whole time. We're not going to clown each other. We're not going to insult each other. We're going to be respectful, and then we're going to shake hands at the end. That was kind of the the, the general feel of those early uh, battle days. Um, and so I think because we 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 enforced that sort of um you know uh, rules quote unquote um we created a safe environment um and we've managed to protect that safe environment uh you know since then so we really we never have incidents we never have fights or or even argue you know nothing like that it just doesn't happen because you know the environment you know I, i'm a big believer um in transparency uh of of rules so i think rules are important as you're building community but it's important for everybody to understand why the rules are in place and so we are always t- talking about you know this has to be a safe place for everybody people's grandmas come here and people's you know baby brothers come here and everybody in between uh, and so it's got to be safe for all of those people um mm-hmm. So um you know we've 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 never really changed uh you know the, the format. Uh you know, we added a DJ or multiple DJs and we added um you know a more structured battle time um over the years, but otherwise, you know, the structure is really the same as it has been that first that first night. Like it's um it hasn't changed a whole lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's incredible to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool to hear how that was such. It just came from like a really humble beginning, and somehow just like exploded out of Providence. Because when I I remember when I went to Hawaii for the first time, it was kind of this magical place. Like I don't people were like building relationships with each other, like really like hanging out, having a great time. Um, the battles were good. Like people really encouraged each other and built an energy um, in the circle. And not only that, it was just super diverse, like culturally and socioeconomically as well. Um, especially for you coming from the outside of that community and looking in, how did you navigate those cultural and socioeconomic differences, especially as they, those, the diversity just only increased over time?
1: Well, we were really intentional about that. Um, so at the beginning, um, because we were a gang intervention program uh, in the 90s, our our primary population were uh, Latinx young men, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, in the early days of, of, of those YA uh, community nights, um, it was really mostly uh, Latinx young men. And so we knew from the beginning, almost the first night that we needed more diversity, so we started reaching out. We started doing community outreach. Uh, we would do breakdancing performances, and we would target specific public parks that we wanted to perform in, or schools. Um, you know, we did a lot of outreach through schools. Um, you know, really, we would I, we were trying to identify um, you know places in the city and different populations that we could approach. Uh, for inclusion in the community, and again, we were very transparent about this. Um, you know, we we were operating uh, out of a, a hip hop culture that we understood to be, um, you know, very multicultural uh, and, and and very welcoming of all of all, as you said, all cultures and all socioeconomic backgrounds. So we didn't want to be. Uh, to feel exclusive to any one culture. We wanted to make sure from the beginning that we included everyone, and we would say that. I would go on the mic every Thursday night and say that. This is a place that welcomes everyone. Everyone is equal here, and everyone is welcome here. Um, And then we just, you know, we lived that out as we threw ourselves into the culture um, and learned more about, you know, hip hop culture in general and and, uh, dance culture in specific. Uh, and b-boy culture, e- even more specific. Program that started uh, uh, in the b-boy culture, you know, we just made a real intentional effort to uh, try to include everybody um, and try to make sure that we didn't draw lines. Uh, now, this is not necessarily the way that the the larger b-boy community is, right? I mean, we 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 recognize it because we were we started, um, I guess it, it was in 1999 that we flew out um, Moy and and uh, some of the Havoc Coral guys to go to freestyle session, uh, which was the first really big um, you know big uh, international b boy event that I went to or, or that any of our staff went to. Um, and so during that time and there's a lot of footage from that, that was a, a, a momentous occasion, but um, you know, at that time, we started to recognize the difference between the b-boy community that we were creating and the larger uh, b-boy and b-girl community, where there is a lot of conflict, there is a lot of um, drama, there's a lot of turmoil, uh, there's a lot of fighting um, at that time, at least. Um, and so we started, you know, we, we, we really tried to draw a line between uh that and what we were trying to create because what we what we were trying to create was more organic than that um and and I think you know one of the one of the components of that um that I want to emphasize is that we have these battles every every Thursday and we have since the early days but you don't win anything right there's no prize of any kind uh so not only is there no money but there's no nothing right um and i think that's a really important component because you know we started recognizing cuz even back in those days they were giving you know monetary prizes um at these big you know these big events um and i think that that changed the the nature of the event um you know then you were competing for money uh and it it just made the whole thing different and so we wanted to draw a hard line there and say like this is about love this is about love of the culture um and about love of each other uh and 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 so by creating that uh distinction i think we were able to create a a a pure version of of a of a a dance community uh, a dance community that's there uh not because they think they're going to benefit from it you know in some kind of financial or career way, but just uh, a, a real live community you know an actual uh, an actual living breathing community.
0: yeah that's crazy that you went to freestyle session the first time Haakcorro went out to um...
1: well they had never went... been on a plane before, <laughs> so um, they were quite young and had never been on a plane before, so we all went out together.
0: Man, that's, that's insane. Cause I, I remember hearing that from little John and also hearing that just like in passing how like that the first time Texas went to freestyle session changed the map for like the breaking community nationwide in the USA That like when Pavacoro first came on the map and whatnot. It's really cool. You had a, a hand in that. Um, speaking of which, um, one of the things, like we, we talked a lot about kind of, uh, Pause like the really great things about youth advocates and a re- revision, and how um, the culture you guys were creating was about community first and not necessarily about like um, money or these things like that. Um, what were some of the difficulties that you had to go through? Um, yeah, just as you were starting the community and then as kind of decades went on and different generations of B-boys and B-girls came into the community?
1: Um, I I mean, in in the early days, that first year was, was rough because, you know, in a startup phase, we were trying to navigate how do we keep everybody safe uh, and yet still make it, a, you know, a really fun, high energy environment. And so, um, you know, th- that, that wouldn't necessarily be the case today because the gang issues that we had in 1996 and 1997 aren't really, um, you know, they're not really as present today as they were back then. That was really the height of the, the whole gangster rap era and all the movies were about gangs and it, it was very glamorized in the, in the youth culture uh, to be a gang member. So that's, so so we had to really draw some fine lines. It's not that we wanted to exclude gang members from coming, but they had to leave the gang activity outside. Um, and so, you know, we had some pretty intense rules in place uh, to make sure that the gang activity didn't, didn't seep into, uh, the culture. That was the really the hardest part of the startup. Um, because it, you know, in the in the general adult culture at that time, uh, the assumption was made that well, b boys are gang members um, because they just adults just didn't understand the culture, right? They hadn't they hadn't done the, the work uh, their own work to 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 dig into the culture to understand it, um, and so they you know schools, for example, would ban breakdancing. We had to go and have a lot of meetings with uh, schools and school districts. Uh, to explain to them and show them and invite them to come out on a Thursday night so that they could see like, no, this is a positive activity. Banning breakdancing is exactly the opposite of what you want to do. And so then a few years later, you know, some of the schools started developing dance programs and people that came on Thursdays started teaching dance at some of these schools. So, so that really was able to change, but educating people about, you know the, the you know not the not the intricacies of b-boy culture but just the overarching positivity of it uh what was a big heavy lift at the beginning um and then of course the you know how do we keep it going financially we've got to keep staff we've got to you know we always have food um i i didn't really mention that but we added food uh as a central component uh later we didn't do that at the beginning but but pretty early on we started having food present on Thursday nights Um, because a lot of folks come and they haven't eaten or they're food insecure and they don't really have food to eat. Um, And so, you know, we, we, we had to, you know, the fundraising uh, was also really challenging because our funders um, and funders in general really don't necessarily understand hip hop culture or, or B-boy and B-girl culture. Um, And they don't necessarily value it highly, Um, certainly not as highly as it should be valued. And so educating folks about what are we doing, you know, why are we doing it this way, and what is the goal? And and the goal was to build an organic community that could keep people connected for a long time. Um, And we've achieved that goal, but we didn't know, you know, when we started, we didn't know if that was possible. Um, And then I remember about four years in, um, we had another decision that we had to make. Well, it really wasn't a decision. It appeared to be a decision to us at that time, which is, you know, we were a youth program. We had the word youth in our name at that time, even. And so, you know, we had folks that were then, you know, you know, 19, 20, 21, they they were becoming young adults. And so were we going to continue to have them as a part of the community? Or, or were you know, or, or were we going to restrict it to youth? And so we realized, like, that, well, there's no decision to be made there. I mean, if it's a, if we're building an organic community, then it's their community. Like, they, of course, they'll come here um, because it's, 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 it's theirs. It belongs to them. It's not exclusive to any one group. But that was a big realization. It may seem like a, a not that important thing, but. Um, it was really important to recognize that no, nobody's ever excluded from coming here because it, it's their community, it's our community collectively, right? It doesn't, it's, it's not run by anyone. Um, And, and, and it's, it was, it was, it's a weird realization because, you know, we started what we thought was a program. We were thinking of it as a program. Like a, an offering that a, our nonprofit was having as an alternative activity, you know, breakdancing. Um But but it became uh, its own entity, uh, a, a, a community. Um, and so now, you know, some of some of the members of that community are, are you know, forty in their forties or even older, right? And 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 that's and that's beautiful. Um, and some and some of their kids have grown up in the community right? And so and now they're adults. And so we're on our third generation, actually, um, of, of folks growing up in and around this community. Uh, but, but that's the beauty of it, is that it's real and it's organic and it doesn't, it doesn't have those restrictions, right? And so now, um, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge really is, uh, well, pre-COVID, of course, um, it, it's just, you know, the fundraising to, to keep it going. Uh, We have this amazing group of volunteers now uh, who come every Thursday and prepare the food. Uh, And these are volunteers. These are revision volunteers um, who we've met through uh, their faith communities uh, and we've introduced them to Thursday nights. Um, And now it's changed their lives. These are these are adults in their 70s, 60s and 70s, primarily, um, who obviously didn't grow up around pop culture don't really know did not know that much about it but um but it's changed their life. I mean we've had we've had them we've had them stand up on a Thursday night and give a testimony that you know coming in, in this community and in this in, in this in this um country because um they've never been around a diverse group of young people um like that, and so they it, it was able to break down stereotypes that they had long held, and, and really um, help them to see their, their own community in a different way. So, um, I think I think the biggest challenge. Is just keeping it going, right? And how do we? Um, uh, so you know, we 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 don't we want to we want to constantly be seeking new ideas and integrating new ideas and new people um, and, and new forms, new art forms um, in into the into the the community, so that it always feels fresh. It always feels the same, but it also feels fresh. Uh, one one anecdote I want to give you is so. Um, we uh, for for several years we're meeting. The 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 location has moved around. By the way, I, I should have said that at the beginning. Um, we we've moved around to different parts of town and, and different venues because it's hard. You know, you you're not going to stay in a single venue, at, uh, for 24 years or whatever. So, uh, for for about five years we were uh meeting at a church, an Episcopal church. Um. In a very well-off part of town, and it felt very elegant, right? Um, and it was totally different than the place that we had been meeting just before that, which was a rented space, um, you know, in, in a in a really different part of town, you know, a storefront location in a really different part of town. Um, and so this guy who was coming previously uh, in the storefront location um, showed up on a Thursday, but he didn't know what he was coming to. Somebody had just told him. To come because they were going to play basketball because we had a basketball court at, at that location, um, and so he shows up um, and he's sta- he hasn't even come inside yet. He's standing outside. This guy's name is Paul. Um, he's standing outside, um, and and he's and he's he's seeing what this feels like. He's he's experiencing what this feels like, and he's like, this is YA, isn't it? <laughs> and he goes, is Charles there? Um, and, uh, and, and, I, and I was there. And so um, he found me and, and, um, and told me that, you know, like it feels the same. Um, and it doesn't feel like anything else that he's been to. So I think it's that, that feeling that's what we're going for, right? I mean, it's, as long as it feels that way, um, like home, um, yeah. then, uh, you know, that, that's what we're going for.
0: I really wanted to point out that I thought was really cool about your approach to um, revision then youth advocates was the idea of shifting perspective from, this is a program that we're giving to people, but this is a community we're all a part of. Like we're all in this to- like, cheesy as it sounds like we're all in this together. And my, f- my kind of flourishing is connected to your flourishing um, and whatnot. And I think that's like a huge difference that I see kind of like when like in different communities like that I've been to it's it's sometimes it's just like a practice space that like people just kind of organize and they're not really involved in people's lives. They're not involved in kind of the, the culture making of a specific space, but yeah, that's like YA is in now revision has been really good about creating culture. And speaking of creating culture, I wanted to kind of transition to what it, looks like now how can we create spaces like this that are safe for people to be existent uh, and also um, connect each other to each other right um, so currently I live in northwest Arkansas like I said earlier uh, and we live in we're in a really small community of like breakers and if you had any advice to give to somebody who is trying to create and sustain a healthy commu- dance community or hip-hop community uh, what would be some advice that you would give to them?
1: Um, you know, the, the, the space is important. Um, it, it really does begin with a space. Um, and that can be a park. Uh, we've used churches a lot um, to really good effect because um, faith communities have spaces, right? They have a fellowship hall or, or a community space, and it's often underutilized during the week, especially on weeknights, um, and, and, um, and so we've always encouraged, and, and they have members, um, who's, who are, who, who are often community minded, at, at least they should be, They're, they should be thinking, uh, and usually are thinking about ways that they can meet members of their own community. And so if we can merge all of those things together to find a, a really solid, safe space, and maybe some volunteers who are not necessarily a part of the dance community or the hip-hop community, but who are interested in learning more about the the people who live in their community, um, hopefully that don't necessarily look like them, um, then we've got, you know, we've got the beginnings of uh, that solid community. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it may sound... Um, it, it, like a cart before the horse. But then the next thing that I think is really important is to nail the music. Um, the mm-hmm. music, you know, often in these practice spaces, um, they operate the way we did that first night where they just rely on community members to bring music and they, they plug their phone into a speaker or whatever. And then you're always arguing over the music. So actually having a DJ who's at, who actually can play quality jams is really important. Um, because that's what people remember. Uh, People remember like, oh, I really like the music at that spot and it sounds good and I can really, you know, dance to it. We, we, you know, I always warn adults when they're coming into the space that this is not a space that was created for you. This was a a space that was created by dancers for dancers. And so, you know, it's going to be loud and, and you're not necessarily going to like the music like it, that's not important. Like it's not it's not about that. It's for them. Right. It's not for you. Um, and so I think, get you know, paying attention to that part of it so that the actual art form uh, is front and center uh, and not just sort of an afterthought. Or Because it, it can feel like, um, you know, in a lot of these practice spaces, you, they start. You know, fighting over who's going to play the music, and then the music is not necessarily loud enough, or it's not clean enough, or it doesn't—it sa- just doesn't sound right. And so, um, I think nailing that, getting somebody—and—and—and and, and really, what we've done is—you know—is—is—is is, is allowed members of the community to learn how to become DJs, and we've supported that. We've given us um, beat machines and and different things mixers for. For members of the community, so that they could experiment and learn how to become DJs, because they'll be the best DJs of all, because they know exactly what they're looking for, right? Um, uh, and then, and then the next thing is is really to create that welcoming space. Um, and so, you know, from the beginning, uh, my thing has always been that that we as a staff, we as the the, the, the facilitators of this community, are going to go around and greet every single person. That comes into the space. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make them feel welcome and we're going to get to know them. We're going to get to know, you know, their name and and where are they from and, and, you know, who else do they know here? And, and, you know, do they have any other needs? Um, and so the repetition of that, doing that every single time the community gathers um, and it's not just me that does that, but it's whoever is, is, you know, sort of staffing uh, that community night is doing that. The repetition of that over over weeks, months, and years um, really creates that safe environment. Um, and that's another piece that's often missing from from these these kinds of practice spaces that get constructed, because the practice space is conceived as just a place to go and you know, it's almost like you're getting your workout in, right? It's almost like a Mm. gym and you're going to the gym and you're going to put your hour, uh, in on the, on the floor and then you're going to leave. Um, but, but I think we have to, we have to create a different environment. Like the, the practice space is only one component, right? It's really, it's really a community base. Um, and, and the, and the practicing, um, we facilitate the practicing, but the practicing is not the most important thing that happens there. The gathering and the connecting and the welcoming uh, is the most important thing that happens there. So I think that's the that's the other piece that I would that I would encourage is uh, you know really getting to know deeply the people that come there. And this doesn't have to happen on the scale you know that that we you know we've been doing this for years, and so we can. You know, we can have events that have 300 or 400 people show up, um, but we can also have events that have 10 people come. Like it, the size of it isn't, we're going to do it the same way, whether it's a large event or a small event. And I think keeping to those components, um, and then the food is the last thing that I would add. I think, I think food adds uh, a layer to the welcoming, to the hospitality. I'm big on hospitality. Um, uh, because I think it signals, if, if you, if you offer to feed people, it signals that you, you're in, you want to get to know them, you're interested in them and their needs, not just in what you can take from them or not just in, you know, providing sort of a, 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 a workout space for them, but you're actually, you're actually wanting them to stay here for a while. Like sit down, right? Let's share a meal. Um, let's have, a, let's have a conversation here um and so you know i i think you know cre- creating that environment where we're trying to we're 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 allowing and encouraging people um you know to relax and, and stick around and come back um i think those are the those are the the hallmark components of of the community that we've created and i think i think those are transferable and replicable anywhere uh anywhere in the world actually because i think that um those components are the building blocks for building an authentic community that's built around this particular uh, art form.
0: If you're wondering who that new voice is, that's Shen, my friend. He's helping out with the podcast. But let's get back to the interview.
2: Um, you said earlier about essentially having people who are not like directly part of the community who are outside of the community participating in this. Um and then you also said about, you know, having essentially having the person who is setting up this space to greet everyone and uh, essentially get to know everyone. Um do you think it's important to have more um members to essentially that does that's not like, you know, they're not a dancer. They're not a, a DJ or, or or someone who is uh deep in that culture, but someone who is from the outside.
1: I, I, I do, I, I do think that, um, and, and, and I, I've, I've, I've come to believe that um, because I've seen communities are run entirely by uh, B-boys and B-girls. And then I've also seen it the way that we do it. And I think the, the br- providing that bridge from you know, the the dance community to the larger community and vice versa, the back and forth. So it doesn't, I I think we don't want it to become so insular that people feel excluded, right? Um, And and so um, insider-ish, these communities have a tendency, unfortunately, to become very um, cliquish and very insider-ish. And, and if you're not a dancer and you're not a really good dancer, then you're not good enough to be in this community. Uh, mm-hmm. and you can't really be a part of it. Um, and, and I think, uh, that works against cre- creating the type of community that, that we're talking about here. Um, because, um, you know, no one is born a world-class B-boy. Like that comes mm-hmm. after, you know, tens of thousands of hours of practice um, and and perfecting you know your your art. Um, and so we've got to create bridges where everyone feels welcome here. Everyone has a, a, a role to play here. Um, and it's always been the case uh, with our, our our gatherings that th- there are probably as many people that are not dancers that come as our dancers and they're made to feel just as welcome as the dancers because, you know, they fill out the battles. They, they watch the battles, they cheer, they create that environment. You know, they get to know people. They're, they're a part of the community. Um, and again, ev- this is a community that belongs to everyone. And, and it, it is, it revolves around, uh, break dancing and, and hip hop culture, yes, it absolutely does, and it, it has the mark of that um, and the values of that. Um, but it's, I, I feel it's important, um, and, it, and it's important both ways because the larger community needs to understand more about the hip hop culture and the and the the dance community, and then vice versa. The, the there's a real benefit. I mean, these 70 year old men and women that come and prepare food now on Thursday nights, um, it's a great benefit for, for some of our young people to know them, right? Because um, they, 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 you know, the stereotypes work both ways. And, and, you know, if you, if, if we wouldn't have had the opportunity to change the life of that 70 year old man that I told you stood up and, and testified. Like we wouldn't have had the benefit or the opportunity to change his life if he hadn't come and and thrown himself into that, um, and allowed himself to be changed by the community. Um, and so I I think it, I think it works both ways. I I think, I I think creating that more open space, um, is really important.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, one last question uh, that's, been on Shannon I's mind uh, you say that as we get more deeply and more intimately involved in each other's lives like the good things will naturally come from that because we're kind of rubbing shoulders against with each other and just like really um, knowing each other on a deeper level but that comes a lot that often comes with a lot of baggage and that comes with a lot of messiness and sometimes a lot of pain um, pain that we inflict on each other recently the community has been talking a lot about um, like sexual violence and sexual harassment uh, and whatnot. How, how do you see community policing or just community accountability play out at revision? And then how does, how does that work broadly um, to keep people safe?
1: Well, be, because we were so focused on safety at the beginning in the early days um, and because safety was so tentative at that time, because, you know, we, we did build this community on top of a, of a gang intervention program. Um, and we had so many gang members in there. Um, you know, we, we, we created these rules. Um, and, and, and in the early days, um, I mean, it was actually a piece of paper that you had to sign when you came in the door, like for, for the first year, every single person that came in the door, um, would have, to, would have to look at the, this set of rules and sign them. Um, and we had them taped on the wall. Um, and, there, and, and in addition to the, the gang rules that I mentioned earlier, you know, there was a weapons rule in place. There was a, we're not going to have any sexist um, language. Um, we're not going to have any sexist activity. Uh, we're not going to be disrespectful of each other in any way that was that was the, the language um and, and we would ask people to leave uh, if we saw those types of behaviors um and, and realize like I, I was very nervous about this because we were operating in public spaces we're meeting in in parks at that time um and uh you know and, and we didn't know that we could pull this off like we didn't know that this wouldn't turn into a big gang fight you know honestly like it was that like that's the way it felt to me every night we tried to do it it was like is this a good idea like um you know is is this safe so 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 safety was the primary concern uh in the early days for the first year uh maybe year and a half it was like that um and so when we when we established the when we imprinted uh the the blueprint of that of those gatherings uh, safety was built into it, and holding each other accountable for um, maintaining appropriate and respectful behavior with with appropriate boundaries was built into that and If somebody did not do that, um, we asked them to leave now they could come back the next time um, but we were still establishing what our expectations were and what the community's expectations were um, and i think I think that is really important even today right it's i think I think um, you know, I, I know I know some of the incidents that you're talking about. You know, in terms of sexual violence and um, and even and even actual violence, um, those have always been a part. They've, those have always been present um, in in the in the in the dance community, um, and I think it's important to to stand against that explicitly and and, and to set explicit expectations. So it's not just an honor system where we're hoping that people behave appropriately, but I think it's important to set those boundaries um, from the beginning. So, and hold each other to them. So it's not like one person is in charge and saying like, I'm going to police your behavior, but no, it's that we're all holding each other accountable again with the goal being transparency is so important. Um, we have different types of people that come here with different types of experience some of whom have experienced trauma in their lives before they ever set foot inside our doors right and so we have to be respectful of that and we have to create a safe space so that they feel just as safe in there and with each other as I do um, and I think I think the actual stating of those expectations um, is important as awkward as it can be because it's it doesn't come naturally. It's, it's easier just to, you know, open the doors and say, everybody's welcome. And, you know, not really, you know, and, 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 and just, you know, have a, have it be tacitly understood that we're all going to treat each other respectfully. But I think we see what that produces in some cases, unfortunately, some people, um, you know, they they, they see that differently. And I think when we create, these community spaces, like we're talking about, it is possible at the beginning uh, to make those those expectations explicit. Cool,
2: yeah. So, okay. So let me let me add this on then. Um, let's say that one person or one individual did kind of cross boundaries and um, was being disrespectful and did not follow the rules, and they were kicked out for that one session. Um, you know, kicking them out as as one of the accountability systems, um, come kind of like playing its part. What what would happen afterwards? Um, what does the community do afterwards for that person? Uh and, and I think uh, I, I will, I guess them to be prefaced with like trying to move away from the toxicity of cancel culture where you essentially just exile and ban a person forever. From your community, you know, like that's not a very inclusive community building effort. Um, but people, right now, I guess in inside the singing and the dancing, they don't really know like what to do next. So, what are some of the advices you would offer for that?
1: I'll give you an example. in the In the early days, um, I won't name any names, but in the early days of of our YA nights, um, we had a particular person uh, who was very conflictual. Um, and what uh, we 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 would ask, you know, when he would when he would behave that way um, inside our space or outside our space, um, you know, we would ask him to leave. Um, and this happened, you know, a few times. Every single time we asked somebody to leave, um, our practice would be then to go visit them in person the next day. Um, and sit down outside of the charged environment um, and talk through what happened. Um, why did that happen? Why did we ask you to leave? How can we prevent that from happening again? Because our expectations are not going to change, but we want you to be a part of the community. Um, and so we want you to, um, you know, to modify your behavior uh, so that you can uh, be respectful to everyone. Um, and then we leave it with, with that person, um, you know, the choice of, of whether they choose to do that or not. Now, this person would always choose to come back. Um, and so, uh, and, and then would, you know, sometimes would repeatedly, um, you know, engage in that same type of behavior. And so, you know, eventually we would set a suspension time, uh, that would, you know, a person would be suspended for, I think the longest we suspended someone for was for a month. And it was that this person that I'm talking about who was very conflictual in those early days. Um, and then on Thursday and say, you know, how are you doing? Uh, you know, we really want you to be back. Um, but, but talk through, you know, what the expectations are and and, and how could they make sure that they could come back. Uh, and that, and then by were able to, but i think on a that was that's a, that's a microcosm version of what you're talking about so i agree with you i think you know we don't want to cancel uh somebody uh from from the community because that sends the wrong message right if, if the message is you know everyone's welcome here then how how are we going to kick someone out and not ever let them back in like that that doesn't really those two things don't con- so i i think we've got to find ways um you know, to, to to bridge to bridge to those people um, that violate the expectations, um, you know, that and and disrespect others, um, and find ways for them to choose to return, but but by being, by being accountable for their actions, um, it's tricky because somebody's got to be the person that reaches out to them. And and sets the expectation, you know, tells them that they have um, violated the expectations and holds them accountable for that. So so, so somebody's got to essentially be like the bad guy. Um, uh, but 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 our experience is that um, you don't have to you don't have to to shame that person into disappearing. Uh, instead, you can actually work with that person to get them to understand and why they are important to the community and why they need to hold themselves to a higher standard so that they can be a part of this community. Um, it, it, it's, it's really, it's difficult, but it can be done. Um, and I think, again, the stating of it, the setting the setting it all up at the beginning and, and having sort of a system in place for, because we're, we're going to assume that there are going to be people you know when you have a community like ours that's been together for you know more than 20 years things are going to happen right people are going to be disrespectful to each other people are going to offend each other there's going to there's going to be different things that occur you know over that long period of time but but nothing has occurred such uh that it's destroyed the community or exiled uh, a large number of people from the community so i think it's possible uh to keep it together and i think the setting the expectations and drawing them out uh explicitly and then holding people accountable to them uh, is the way to go that was wonderful um
2: yeah it, it actually remind you know as as a as a high school teacher now in the classroom it actually reminds me the way that school systems have set up with like their accountability system and uh, their review um, system and feel like the modeling and this that you're telling are actually very similar to the modeling, the structure that, that our school system is, is trying to do at least um, with like explicit rules and then like um, some sort of like suspension uh taken away and then and then reaching out and following up on how the students do and how to re-enter them grade them back into the classroom is very interesting.
1: And to be fair, the suspension is the last resort. Um, we have very rarely employed that. That's only that's only been in our most our most serious incidents. Um, we've never actually had a, a fight um, but but you know when it when it came close to that um, that's the only time that we've really ever employed, um, a suspension. So I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that we want to throw that around and just suspend people right and left. We, we want to avoid that at all costs, but, but we want to keep that opportunity there. So, so that we don't kick someone out. Like I, you know what, I would never want to say you are not welcome to return here. Um, I don't think we've ever said that to anybody, um, because I, yeah, that's
2: that's very important. Yeah, because you, you, you want to keep the the the, um, the opportunity of allowing people to continue to be here, but also they need to abide by the expectation and rules of the place. I think that that's that's the the balance that needs to be set within the community, um, so that people are not coming in and just walking all over the place, uh, and they're being respectful. But then at the same time, uh, I guess in a way where it's like you're very authoritative and and instead of having like a safe space you're just dictating what people can or cannot do in the community and it's also
0: helpful that you're like at least in your position you're someone with one foot in each world and so you can act as a mediator for a lot of these circumstances because you're not necessarily personally like tied to any conflict like it's this you're part of the community but you're also like a a true third-party bystander in that sense, um,
1: and, and I would I would add yes I, I agree with that and then I, I I would also add the space is an important component because as I mentioned we've often utilized church spaces um, a, as a neutral site right um, and, and and while there's a great benefit to to having the church people involved and having that space which is often a really nice space and and large enough for a big event and that sort of thing. The other thing that it does is it, it again, adds a layer of transparency. Like this isn't our space. Like we can't just act, you know, we can't act crazy here and be invited to come back. Like we have to hold ourselves to a certain standard because we're, we're visitors in this space. Right. Um, and that's easy for people to understand. Everyone can understand that. Um, so I think that 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 adds another component to what you're talking about, so that um, it's not just a free for all here, um, but but instead, like you know, we we are, you know, we're obligated um, to to hold ourselves to a high standard of behavior.
0: Thank you so much for um, making the time to talk with us, uh, Charles. It was it's a pleasure to hear kind of the history of revision, um, and it's also. A pleasure to hear about the wonderful work you're doing. Um, is there anything you'd like to close off with?
1: No, I would just encourage folks, if you want to learn more about um, the, the work uh, that we're doing now, or, or if you want to connect with us, the website is houstonrevision.org. That's all one word, houstonrevision.org. And uh, you can connect with me there or just learn more about what we're doing. Um, So uh, I'd encourage you to do that.
2: Thank you so much. All right, thank you, Charles.
1: Hey, thank you. Thanks to both of you. I really do appreciate it. And it's great reconnecting with y'all.
0: After we closed the Zoom room, it took a couple of minutes to reflect and debrief with Shen I was amazed at the incredible impact that Charles has had on the Houston break community. If it wasn't for him and the Houston revision, Habakoral may have never gone to Freestyle Session in 1999 and competed in that legendary battle with Sal elements. Generations of dancers and crews may not have met if it wasn't for the diligent work of the community development YA provided. But in the beginning of the podcast, we asked a question, how do you build and sustain healthy dance communities? After listening to Charles, the answer is pretty clear, intentionality. If we can be intentional about the way we curate our spaces, create our culture, love our neighbors, and hold each other accountable, I think we'll be able to get there. The question for us now is, are we willing to take the first step? Thanks for listening to the first episode of our podcast. If you want to keep up with us, subscribe on wherever you get your podcast from and follow us on Instagram at the B underscore podcast. If you want to support the work that Houston Revision does, you can donate to them using the link houstonrevision.org slash donate. Special thanks to Dap Boy Leroy for the music. If you liked his music and want to hear more, I put his SoundCloud in the show notes. Tune in next week for our next episode. Peace.